Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by liberal professor Mark Casello, Republican congressional candidate Matt Lave, Holly Page, who's the co-founder of No Labels, and Peter Qualia, a Trump Republican and a former federal law enforcement officer. And we thank you very much for joining us, our program tonight. Coming to you from our home base at AM560 WYND in Elk Grove Village, just outside Chicago. Nice to have you with us. Phone lines open for the full two hours this evening, 1-800-723-8289. 1-800-723-8289, the big news in politics. Uh, at least as this as of this moment, is that the uh, the House and Senate and uh, they they were able to stop a possible shutdown. President Biden signed the legislation uh, yesterday, late yesterday, and uh, one of the big things that uh, people are already discussing is whether or not by participating with Democrats in this House deal, did Kevin McCarthy uh, commit a cardinal sin, and will he soon? lose his job as speaker because a lot of people in the Republican caucus don't want him to make deals with Democrats. So I'm going to begin with a, a tough question to start off with, Matt. Uh, Matt is running for Congress in the 14th District. That's in the western suburban Chicagoland area. And uh, your reaction, if you were in the House, would you be uh, supporting Kevin McCarthy or would you be gnashing your teeth about what he did with the Democrats uh, over the last few days? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Mr. DeMont. Great to be here, and I'm glad that you asked one of the most difficult questions possible right <laughs> out the gate. Let's, let's go hard at the beginning so it'll be easier later yeah. on. A few things on that. One is, obviously, I'm not in D.C. yet, so being there, things are a little bit different. But from my perspective, um, you know, I think participation, you know, collaboration with the Democrats being a sin, I think that's a problem. I think we are fed up with the lack of bipartisan collaboration within D.C., so I want to say that. I also want to empathize with uh, Mr. McCarthy. I think that's an extremely difficult position to be in. And one of the things that really bothers me is what is going to be done in the next 45 days that couldn't have been done in the last few months or the last six months? Why do we time and time again get to this roadblock of financing for this nation? And I think that's a bipartisan problem. And I think that we consistently are failing the American people in holding ourselves accountable and using our money responsibly. Peter Collier joins us. Uh, he is a pro-Trump Republican. He joins us tonight from uh, Staten Island, but he usually lives in Pennsylvania. Uh, Peter, what is your uh, what grade would you give Speaker McCarthy? Well, clearly I'm sympathetic to his uh, uh, plight uh, the having, you know, in the situation that he's in. He obviously has to deal with Democrats. Quite honestly, uh, from my perspective, you know, Many, many years ago, I remember Daniel Patrick Moynihan saying that it's the opposition's job to oppose. So from that perspective, uh, I don't necessarily want to see the government get anything done. I think they have to have a political philosophy that they stick to. Uh, Matt Gates' political philosophy is that we need to cut spending. And anything that doesn't ultimately cut actual spending, not just the anticipated growth, but actual spending, I think should be, uh, you know, shouldn't be uh, voted through. That's what we want. I mean, we want that we, meaning the MAGA Republicans, expect that they're going to stick to their guns and that they're going to actually cut spending. 
So while I'm very sympathetic, I think we have to have that political philosophy going forward. Mark Costello joins us. He's our card-carrying Democrat in the broadcast this evening. Uh, Mark, uh, your reaction to all this brouhaha with the Republicans? Well, uh, it's a basic congressional responsibility to pass their budgets and uh, fund the government. But I, I understand what Peter's saying. I, I do think, you know, if there's a minority and they need to make some issues, you know, raised, this was a way to do it. But do you need to bring the government to the brink of collapse to make a political just, point? Just Go if ahead, I Peter. could just go on again, the, the, the reality is the federal government, 85 percent of the federal government is going to continue operating even if we don't pass a budget for an entire year. Mm-hmm. In fact, as a matter of fact, the, you know, from my perspective, the taxpayers are much better off if we don't pass a budget because ultimately that just uh, prevents bureaucrats from spending more money. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned, you know, you mentioned Social Security checks are going to go out. Medicare is going to get paid. All of the essential services are going to continue. You're talking about 15 percent of the of the budget. The government, clearly, they're going to do things that uh, cause people pain. They're going to shut down monuments and do things that are visible, right. but nothing meaningful. Right. Let's, let, I want to mention uh, that uh, Matt Gates, who you mentioned, the uh, uh, firebrand congressman from Florida, who's been a pain in the side of uh, Speaker McCarthy for quite some time, uh, he was on television today uh, uh, with Jonathan Carl on uh, ABC, and uh, following a comment by the Speaker himself, Following the big vote yesterday, uh, we're going to hear a little bit from the speaker, and then we're going to hear a very interesting uh, conversation uh, with Matt Gates, who's going to give you chapter and verse why he thinks the speaker made a huge mistake. Let's go. Let's join together to do what is right. If somebody wants to make a motion against me, bring it. There has to be an adult in the room. So are you going to do it? Or are you going to move to ask them? Kevin McCarthy's going to get his wish. I don't think the adult in the room would allow America to sit atop a $33 trillion debt facing $2.2 trillion annual deficits. I don't think the adult in the room would allow $8 trillion of this debt to come into refinancing at a higher level without serious spending cuts. And I don't think the adult in the room would lie to House conservatives. And that is exactly what Kevin McCarthy did. In January, to get the speakership, Kevin had to agree to certain guardrails on spending. And he had to agree to a process that would allow us to put some downward pressure on spending. Since the mid-90s, this country has been governed by revolving continuing resolution and omnibus spending bill. And what that means is that America's lawmakers take one up or down vote on the funding of the entire government. That is crazy. That is the reason we're 33 trillion in debt. We want to move to single subject spending bills. So he made that commitment. He broke it. And if at this time next week, Kevin McCarthy is still Speaker of the House, it will because, be because the Democrats bailed him out and he can be their speaker, not mine. So, so when, Matt, when do you Matt, make this move? Uh, Matt Lave is, is back with us uh, running for Congress. Uh, do you agree with uh, much of what uh, was just said by well, Mr. Gates? So I agree with a few things there. One being the single subject spending bills. Absolutely. I'm completely for that. In addition to making promises at the beginning of the year that have not been followed through with. I, I completely agree with that. What I don't agree with is sitting back, bickering, calling each other names. I believe this is the political theater that the American people are completely just beyond exhausted of, and we want to see people who can get together and solve problems. Peter, don't you agree with, uh, uh, with, with many that have said that uh, if the government had shut down, uh, it would be the Republicans that would get the blame for it? 
And and are you saying that you don't think there would be a lot of political damage to that? Because obviously some Republicans do. Well, I'm sure the Republicans would have gotten the blame for it. What I'm saying is that most of the MAGA Republicans out there wouldn't care. Because the practical effect of the government shutting down is that you might have to wait on hold for the IRS for two hours as opposed to the customary 90 minutes. <laughs> There's really nothing that the average person is going to see in their daily life that's going to occur from a government shutdown. Okay. Now, you're speaking, for obviously, for MAGA Republicans. I want to get a reaction from everybody else as to those that aren't MAGA Republicans. Obviously, uh, they were part of the group that supported uh, Speaker McCarthy on the big vote. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. 1-800-723-8289. Back shortly. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us. Another big story this past week was the second Republican debate by uh, Fox Business. And uh, I want to get reaction to uh, to that. I want to go- turn to you again, uh, Matt. Uh, looking at these other Republicans, uh, was there any of those Republicans that, in your view, sounded a lot like you? You know, I think that uh, what's great being a political outsider is that I can have similarities with everyone on that stage and be different from anyone as, el- uh, everyone as well as I'm not a, a typical politician. I'd say some of the things I did like is Tim Scott had really good positions on execution and getting things done. I think Vivek had some great ideas and great talking points, very aspirational. And I think uh, Ron DeSantis had some very good experience that he referenced and has a strong track record. Um, but one specific, I'd say they're, they're great points across the board and some I disagree with across the board as well. Such as? Well, I believe that you know, opening up American energy, as Vivek was talking about, is absolutely crucial. Um, I also believe that you know, the border wall is, or the border security is a very big issue a lot of Americans are concerned about, and it was not, there was not a unanimous consens- uh, consensus on that stage about how to go about that and what to be done. What is it? I'm going to ask everybody this. I'm going to, I'm going to start with Peter, then I want to get everybody's reaction. Peter, in your view, given what's happened with the uh, uh, where we are with, with the border crisis and uh, illegal immigration, uh, what should we do? Because obviously uh, uh, the government is spreading, they're sending buses and planes all over the country. They're creating havoc not only in Chicago but in New York and other cities, wherever they drop uh, the migrants off. Uh, speaking from someone that is at least in Staten Island right now, what, what what's the view of... Uh, how this should be done. You obviously don't like the way it's being done now, but what changes would you make? And you're, and by the I, way, we I should mention, what, you spent many years in federal law enforcement uh, working at the border, so you know from what you speak. Well, just to be clear, I was at JFK. I was not at the land border. Okay. But uh, the answer is, the answer very simply, uh, when, when you speak to anybody that's, that's uh, immigrating here illegally in this country and, and ask them why they're coming and this uh, their answer is because the the door is open uh, so the first thing we need to do is have an absolute moratorium on immigration i think there should be a moratorium on legal and illegal immigration at this point until the country can absorb the uh, immigrants that we currently have here because mm-hmm. make no mistake about it 
no one's going to get deported, even though, uh, you know, look, I'm hopeful that when the Trump administration comes in, they're going to be able to deport some of the illegal aliens that have come in. But the reality is that most of the time, by the time you get around to having a hearing and deport, they've got so many roots here that they don't actually get deported. Mm -hmm. So all of the illegal aliens that that have crossed into the country and trust me, there's 50 million here if there's even one, they're staying. And that's going to have a tremendous uh, cultural impact on this nation. So uh, my argument would be, number one, we absolutely don't take any more asylum claims and we should not. Uh, the door's got to be closed. And once they know that the door is closed and they're going to be immediately turned around, they will stop coming. Yeah. I would add to that that, uh, quite honestly, I don't think that social services should be made available to somebody that just crawled across the, uh, the border or climb across the Rio Grande. I think that, uh, you know, people that live in this country that have paid for those uh, social safety net uh, are being taken for a ride because that's being given away to, if to they, you know, if, people. However, to, the, to, to many of these people that have, that have come into the country, uh, and these either could be asylum seekers or those not seeking asylum, which would I would describe as illegal immigrants because there's no law that, that covers them, uh, when they left their homes, did they believe that they were going to end up in a hotel room somewhere in New York City or Chicago? Well, I, I, I assume so. I mean, they everybody, you know, every single one of them has a smartphone. Every single one of them has Internet access. I mean, they're all wearing sneakers and, and uh, uh, fairly decent clothing. I mean, they know what's going on. Everybody knows what's going on. The door is open. You know, they're watching the news like everybody else. They're trying to get over here because they realize that, they, you know, again, the door is open. Now is their time. Because when the next administration comes in, God willing, the door is going to be closed. All right, Mark Costello. Yeah, I, I just want to speak, you know, right now in my community on the south side of Chicago, there's 130 individuals, including women and children, um, who are migrants, mostly from Venezuela, uh, who are in Chicago. Um, our community is bringing food and meals and clothing to these individuals uh, in the Pullman community on the south side of Chicago. And what didn't come up in the Republican debate, and I don't hear from the Biden administration, is the long-term policy of sanctions on Venezuela and how that's in affecting and fueling this migration. Because we've the sanctions have helped fuel devaluation of Venezuelan currency, depressed economic opportunities in the country. And so you can, you can militarize the border as much as some of these Republican candidates want to. But until you... Uh, bring humanity back into the economy of these countries and, and help. You know, I, they were talking about uh, foreign aid that's given to these countries, but what about the sanctions on these uh, Latin American countries, particularly Venezuela? That's where a huge surge of this migration is coming from. And, you know, to, to Peter's point, um, they're coming just because anything is better than the violence and the, the danger they're experiencing in their own communities. To, to, to think of the south side of Chicago as the promised land shows how desperate the people are who are coming. Matt? Yeah, I'd like to add to that. I don't think it's our obligation as Americans to take care of the people that other governments are incapable or unwilling to take care of. And the fact that there's a community that's bringing food and water and shelter, that, that's amazing and, and that's great to hear. Uh, with that, I think you're talking about 130, there's tens of thousands that are going to communities that don't want them there. We just recently saw news coverage in Eagle Pass where a city of population of 28,000 is having tens of thousands flood in and they have no capacity or resources whatsoever to take care of those people. And that's really the problem. Do you think that there will Google be Google Scott Lebedo on Staten Island. Say again? 
I'm sorry, Bruce. Bruce I'm sorry. If you Google uh, Scott Labedo, Staten Island, you'll see that the the uh, fight that's going on right now with the city of New York. They've just housed a number of illegal aliens in a former Catholic uh, girls' school, which is right next to another uh, Catholic girls' school, which is currently occupied. These these uh, uh, immigrants are all men. They're all, uh, you know, uh, military fighting age men. This isn't an immigration. This is an invasion. But that's a, a whole other story. Oh, they're coming. I, I don't disagree that there are harsh conditions in other countries. But the reality is the reason they're coming is because the door is open. And it's, it's not, you know, most of these people are not legitimate asylum seekers. They're trained and coached in what to say. They know exactly what to say so that the, the, the border agent is going to write them a ticket for a, uh, for a court appearance seven or eight or nine years from now, which is never going to occur. They're going to disappear into our society. They're going to have anchor babies, and they're going to be here forever. Trust me, I lived it. That's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how do we, how do we aggressively stop it? Now, I, I, you know, we, we did a whole actually like the last couple of weeks. We focused on this particular subject. So I want to go to you, Matt. You want to go to Congress and 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 and, and change things. Uh, where do you put this issue as things you would like to accomplish if you end up in Washington? Absolutely. This is one of my top priorities. I believe we need to enforce laws on the books. We have to give more resources to the border, border security, and we have to be willing to turn people back and not just accept everyone and anyone who comes to this country. We're in a very difficult economic circumstance. We do not have the resources to take care of the entire world, and that's not our job. We have to take care of our own people first. We have people struggling. We have people who can't purchase houses, and we're giving millions and tens and hundreds of millions towards migrants that come here illegally, and we have a process in place my family is an immigrant family. We went through the law. We did the process. And we are here and we are grateful. And it's an affront to everybody who's gone through that legal process, due process, comes here, pays taxes, works hard, that we just ominous dominus let people come in and it's okay and we pay for them. Yeah, Our, I just want to jump in for a second that, you know, both parties have had opportunities to reform our immigration system. And I've just watched decade after decade, and yeah. no one's done anything. Nobody's touched it. You know, I remember Bruce and I, we talked about E-Verify, you know, a decade ago or longer about, uh, you know, undocumented immigrants who are employed by subcontractors. But I think, you know, look at some of our visa programs. We, we have very strict visa restrictions on people coming from Mexico and relatively uh, – uh, looser restrictions on people coming from Canada. Um, rather than a moratorium, as Peter's pr uh, proposing, I think a, just an overall comprehensive look at our immigration system is needed because we do need a large flux of immigrants in here for these jobs. Our unemployment's very low. There's lots of positions that need to be filled. Almost every place I go in the city is asking for help. So there are jobs, but we need a, a, an immigration system. Do that you buy that, Peter? Is reform? Do, do you buy that there's there's certain there's a certain group or certain class of people that we need in America because American business needs qualified people to do the job and they can't find them now. Absolutely not. That's one. Listen, I, I will. I don't believe that at all. Uh, I don't believe it. I think okay. that, uh, first of all, though there is an accommodation for people that have special skills. All right, I, I can't recall what the visa letter is, but there is an accommodation that can be made for people that have specific skills that can't be found here in America. But the reality is, I think there are a lot of Americans that uh, that basically have basically checked out of the workforce. I mean, we have a, a social services system here that basically encourages people not to work. 
And I think that if people, uh, uh, you know, I think that uh, we need to, this probably needs to be some more job training. We need to incentivize people that live in this country to go to work. I mean, as opposed to uh, living on their, in their parents' couch and on their parents, uh, you know, playing video games all day long. So I, I do think that there's a, you know, I don't believe the unemployment numbers, first of all. If we measured unemployment today the way we um, measured unemployment back in 1980, the number would be much, much higher. Same with inflation. So the reality is that it's not as low as, as it's purported to be. Do you, you, you mentioned, I wanted to get uh, mass response because, you, uh, Peter, you mentioned, uh, and, and, and Donald Trump has already said, that he is, there's going to be a mass deportation if he's elected president of the United States. Do, do, we, want, do we want a massive deportation? And, and how would that work, uh, Matt? So I just wanted to jump on with Mark real quick because... Absolutely, 100%. We need improvements in a revised immigration system and completely agree. Decades-long problem that bipartisan both have failed at improving this situation, and that's why we are where we are right now. Okay, we've got to pause. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. back and we continue with our guests and at this point we let them introduce themselves and we're going to begin with Mark Casello. Mark? I'm Mark Casello. I am chair of the Department of Humanities at Calumet College of St. Joseph and a professor of English and Media Communications and director of that program. I also live in the Pullman National Monument which is now the Pullman National Historical Park on Chicago's south side and I'm the founder and president of the Pullman National Preservation Society. And what grade would you give to Joe Biden as president right now? Oh, boy. I'd be one of those uh, disapprove kind of numbers <laughs> in the polls. Uh, he's done some good things. I, I, you know, I, I personally was happy to see him on the picket lines. I think, you know, whether you disagree with the strike or the specific demands, I do think the average American is facing, you know, record inflation and wage compression. And I, I think to see the president taking a stand there was good. But, uh, you know, I, the disastrous the way we left Afghanistan has sort of left a terrible taste in my mouth uh, the entire presidency. Um, student loans are resuming uh, for a lot of millions of Americans. And uh, so uh, he's done some good work there, but uh, there's still a lot to be done. I want to ask a follow-up question when we continue with introducing our guests. Uh, Matt Lave joins us. Matt is a congressional candidate from the 14th Congressional District. That is in suburban and, and rural Illinois, just outside Chicago. Uh, tell everybody about your background, Matt. Absolutely. Thanks, Mr. DeMont. My name is Matt Lave. I'm a former Marine combat veteran. I dropped out of college after 9-11, raised my hand, and go serve this nation. I spent three tours overseas, and after getting back from combat, I utilized our great GI Bill, fantastic resource, went back to school, got my business degree from University of Southern California, and that got me into big business, enterprise, technology, and innovation. I spent the last decade with a quite successful and fun career in that space in the last five years in artificial intelligence, and I am yet again seeing a time of need in this nation, putting, metaphorically, my own career on pause, dropping out, and raising my hand again to serve our great nation in D.C. What would be the, the, the principal skill you would bring uh, to the residents of the 14th District if they selected you in the Republican primary? 
combination of grit, perseverance, and collaboration, as well as no interest whatsoever in being a career politician. I've already signed the term limits pledge. I believe in politicians having careers outside of politics, getting in, serving, and getting back out. Peter Qualia joins us. Peter, give us a little background on you. It's it's extensive. It's, uh, well, it's, uh, thank you for saying so. I have a 30-year career in law enforcement, 27 years with uh, U.S. Customs, uh, which then became U.S. Customs and Border Protection in the aftermath of 9-11. I was uh, primarily responsible for the reconstruction efforts of uh, Customs uh, the Office of Enforcement after 9-11. Uh, after that, I had a uh, brief stint with the Port Authority Inspector General and did another uh, year and a half with NCIS, and now I'm a full-time political junkie. And I mentioned a pro-Trump Republican. What is it about Absolutely. what is it about Donald Trump that uh, impresses you so much? Uh, Donald Trump, in my view, is the consummate outsider. Uh, he's exactly what we need. He he means what he says. He says what he means. That's why the entire system is trying to attack him because he's upsetting the uniparty establishmentarian apple cart. He's, uh, he's uh, you know, look, I, I, I recognize the fact that he's not polite. Uh, I'm from New York, so I'm not at all offended by him. <laughs> when, uh, we did not elect him because he was polite. We elected him because we wanted someone who's uh, absolutely common sense, who was going to, uh, who says what needs to be said and does what needs to be done, regardless of, uh, you know, fair favor. If Donald Trump uh, should be unsuccessful, uh, where do you think all of the really strong, uh, uh, rabid Trump supporters would go? Would, would they sit on their hands in a general election? Would they gravitate to either the Republican nominee? Would they go someplace else? Would they go to Robert Kennedy, who is now talking you, you, about you, you an independent run for president? When you say unsuccessful, I assume you mean if he does not get the Republican yes, nomination. Yes, yes, And in my view, look, I can speak for myself, and I know there are many people that share my view, and I've made, I've said this publicly. If I cannot vote for Donald Trump for president, then I would much prefer to vote for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. than to anybody else on the Republican ticket, primarily because, in my view, the most important thing is to have a common sense outsider. I think that the I think that generally speaking, the establishmentarian Republicans and the establishmentarian Democrats are much more alike than we think. I think they you know they project this like a movie. They want us to pick a side, and and uh, you know what happened with the uh, budget negotiation uh, continuing resolution ex basically illustrates my point. You know it reminds me of that cartoon we all watched when we were kids with uh, Wiley Coyote and Sam the Sheepdog. You know they 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 clock in, chase each other around for eight hours, and then they clock out and go have dinner together. It's really one party. And I think that uh, the thing that I find very attractive about Donald Trump, Trump and Robert Kennedy is that they are outsiders that uh, the establishment doesn't like. And if the establishment doesn't like them, that's fine by me. Um, Mark, your reaction. Does, does the Robert Kennedy candidacy excite you? Yeah, I, I agree with Peter in some regard, which is that, um, you know, the more and more I've seen Donald Trump attacked, it's actually made me sort of sympathetic to him because I, I think, you know, when, when the establishment goes to such great lengths to vilify and attack a person, it makes him seem like a genuine threat to somebody's interest somewhere. So as a progressive, even though I disagree with Donald Trump and I didn't enjoy his presidency, I do think it just it's it seems so 
over the top with the vilification, I think, of all the white-collar crime that's happening across this country. And Donald Trump happens to be the worst villain in all of this. Um, certainly there's well, fraud. What do you think is scandal. happening? What do you think is happening? <clears throat> I, think I, mean, they, I mean, in my view, they, they have gone beyond vilification. Yeah. They want to make Donald Trump like Adolf Hitler. I mean, it, there's a degree of hatred there that, that I don't quite... I, I, granted, he tipped over the apple cart, okay? He, he ticked off a lot of people when he got elected. He's, he, he's, he said things that uh, would normal, normally not be said in polite company. But it seems to me that there's a lot more than that. Uh, Matt, uh, Mark, your, your, your response to... Uh, just the whole phenomenon of Donald Trump and uh, what he stands for, and 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 most importantly, what it would mean to the, what would it mean to the party if he is stopped in his quest to be the nominee? I think that we are all in a, a level of agreement here, where Donald Trump won the first time around because he was a political outsider, and people are so tired and exhausted of the bipartisan corruption that we're seeing and the dysfunction. And in addition to that. Absolutely. I think if he is prevented from running, then Kennedy is probably the, the strongest nomination because he is an outsider and people are so sick and tired of the, entren the entrenched bureaucracy and the reason why they're going so hard after Donald Trump and why they went after and are going after Kennedy, refusing him Secret Service protection, is because he's a threat. And to many career politicians and bureaucrats, this is a life or death situation. If an outsider comes in in this political climate and with this social climate mm -hmm. and they pull up the rug and show everything underneath, there are a lot of people that are no longer going to be able to uh, siphon off the you know, fat cow of taxpayer dollars. Peter, and, and on that, uh, I just, if, if Kennedy was, was on the libertarian party ticket, uh, I don't think he's going to end up as a Republican. But again, if, if he was on the Libertarian Party ticket, am I correct in hearing what you had to say is that if Donald Trump is not the Republican nominee, you could support Robert F. Kennedy Jr. for president? No, I, no, I said I would prefer to support Robert Jim. I would absolutely support him over any of the other establishmentarian Republicans. And I, uh, just to go back to your uh, other question, just follow the money. I mean, the reason yeah. that uh, Robert Kennedy is vilified is because he is a threat to established interests uh, that are making a lot of money, namely yeah. pharmaceuticals and, and uh, corporate. Uh, you know, he always talks about corporate capture, which is absolutely true. Donald Trump is just as much of a threat to uh, other financial interests, most notably the military industrial complex. So uh, if you want actual real change, uh, I think that we need to uh, we need a commander in chief and a chief executive officer that's from outside the government. I think that this, uh, you know, the, the uniparty establishment is all no good. And I think that, uh, you know, unfortunately, there are some other people that are running on the Republican side that I might have been predisposed to support before. But when you see the people that are backing them now, it leaves a very, very bitter taste in my mouth. Do you think that he would be the an appropriate running mate for Donald Trump? I, I've, again, I know that I'm going to take a lot of flack about this, but I'm, I'm engaged in a number of Robert Kennedy uh, bulletin boards on social media, and I would absolutely love to see a Trump RFK ticket. I understand that they have differences, but I do believe that uh, Trump, if Trump RFK ran on the same ticket, they would be unstoppable. The moment they took the oath of office, they could start a brand new party, and it would be the political equivalent of, of slingshotting the lunar module around the moon and returning it safely to the Earth like they did in Apollo 13. That's the only way it could happen. I think that 
you know, it, normally it would take four or five or more election cycles to start a new party. The two of them could do it right out of the starting gate. So again, uh, we're going to deal this deal with this in the second hour. Uh, the effort of no labels. You think that uh, Trump and Kennedy could conspire between the two of them and pull that off if Trump got elected with Kennedy as a running I mate? I pray to God that I pray to God. I've been pushing this for 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 months now, and I'm getting beat up by the Trump people, and I'm getting beat up by the Kennedy people. But it's not about me. It's not about them. It's about trying to save the country. Matt, your response, Matt. I think it's a great idea. I think uh, a lot of America would absolutely love that. And I think there's zero chance of it happening based on Donald Trump's personality and some very big differences on some very yeah. big ways to uh, govern. Yeah, no, I think. It, but I'd love it, to see it. it. it, it it's, it's a political <laughs> scientist, I think, dream, yeah. <laughs> dream come true if that were yeah. to happen. But boy, the, 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 the national media, I mean, I would say that we, we all know that the national media despises Donald Trump and goes out of their way to 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 make him uh, look bad but uh, it seems to me that uh, uh, they feel the same way about Robert Kennedy in other words the the visceral reaction the hatred that the national media have and I, I think hatred is not a strong word uh, I think they have hatred for Robert F Kennedy jr and uh, again it may be because uh, he represents a challenge uh, to primarily the, the pharmaceutical industry, but corporate America. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back shortly. Don't go away. back and let's go to Ben in El Paso, Texas. And Ben, before you ask your question, let me ask you this question. Um, what, what for you as, a, as an average guy who lives in El Paso, what impact does the influx of illegal immigrants and asylum seekers have on your daily life? Does it affect it in any way? Well, it makes it to where I'm not going downtown and um, frequenting restaurants and, and, and businesses downtown because um, I don't feel safe there. Um, I have had a number of people come to my house and, uh, you know, knock on the door asking for money. I don't, uh, I don't uh, do that because mm -hmm. I did, then everybody and the mother would be there with, right. with that. There, there's a lot of things that are going on. And my, um, my local government doesn't seem to care about what the problems is about, you know, from our our, our the citizens of El Paso. Mm -hmm. They have more concern for the um, immigrants. And that's the general feeling of many of your colleagues and neighbors? Well, it's general feeling from people like myself. There's a lot of people in El Paso that are, you know, crying for the, the, the illegals. Uh, they want them to be able to come in and and do things, uh, you know, uh, take up our resources. But a lot of people are, are Democrats here in El Paso. Mm -hmm. We're 95% Democrat, probably. Yeah. Uh, you had a question, so I'll let you go ahead with that. Yeah, I'd like to make a suggestion that everybody that flies the American flag, get rid of that flag and buy a and fly a Betsy Ross flag, symbolizing rejection of our present government and a return to the principles of our founding fathers 
and to the Declaration of Independence, Constitution, and Bill of Rights. That's what our problem is, that we have gotten away from those principles. Do you support the concept of no labels, which we will discuss in the next hour on our show tonight? That, that we need, uh, we need uh, a third option? Uh, some people would suggest there already are third options, so maybe it's a, at least another option. Uh, they've been at this for almost a decade now, but it appears that there's uh, more talk and quite a bit of contributions that have been funneled to this idea of, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a new party, a no-labels party, no, not Republicans, not Democrats, just people looking for change. Is that something you would support? Uh, that's not what the problem is. Uh, one, of the, one of the interviews that Glenn Beck gave to uh, George Bush was uh, 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 you know, he was concerned about what was happening in 2008. And he asked, uh, uh, George, uh, told George Bush, boy, I'm concerned about what's going on. Um, and George Bush just said, don't worry about that. It doesn't matter who gets elected president. The, the deep state is going to take care of everything, whether or not it's a Republican, a Democrat, a third party. It's all going to be done the same way. That's the problem with, uh, with our country right now. We've got a uniparty that really doesn't listen to people. Or, think, well, unfortunately, think, people are, are kind of uh, not very intelligent. Ben, do you think a second term for Donald Trump would be as, uh, as uh, disappointing to you as you have just described? Is he, is he part of the problem or part of the solution? Again, it's not a matter of who is president. It's a matter of the people that are. You know, it doesn't matter who gets the president. I think you may have some illegal immigrants at the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter what, who is president. It can be Donald Trump. It can be Bugs Bunny. It's going to be run by the same people of the deep state. And right, that's the one thing that Donald Trump did bring uh, bring to light is that there, are, you know, uh, like that interview with Glenn Beck. It's a matter that uh, the uh, uh, what Donald Trump did say is that we we don't have a government that is run by uh, I want it by, by the presidents. We we have a government run by other people. Okay, I want to go back to I want to go back to Peter Qualia, and and ask you, Peter, do you think a second Trump term what would it do for uh, disbanding the the deep state? Because Donald Trump tried, but he didn't completely get rid of it. I think that Donald Trump learned a lot uh, from his first term. I think. Uh, <clears throat> You know, when Donald Trump was elected president, he believed that the the deep state, uh, the you know, the government was going to line up behind him as they had, or as they apparently had to all the presidents before him. It was a very hard lesson for him, but I think he gets it now. All right, the bottom line is, it's, it's another reason that the deep state is uh, is fighting so against Donald Trump, because he was in the process of putting together a plan whereby he would be able to fire employees that were not loyal to the administration. The bottom line is that, you know, I worked for the executive branch, right? It, I, it wasn't our job in the executive branch is to execute the will of the executive, which is the president. We're not allowed to make any decisions unilaterally. But that deep state 
is so entrenched at this point that they are, mm-hmm. in fact, running the government. And the, whoever the president is has very little effect uh, mm-hmm. on, on them. I, I think that the Vivek Ramaswamy's most recent uh, plan, uh, you know, he, he, he suggested an eight-year term for government employees. I don't know that a term is necessary, but it is absolutely important for the president mm-hmm. to, at very minimum, be able to remove all of the management. Okay. Because that, that's if you can't fire them, it's a problem. On that point, uh, we've got to say uh, farewell. I want to ask one last question to to Matt uh, Lave, who joins us. Uh, he wants to go to Washington, be a congressman for many, many years. And uh, I'm, no, you you've taken a, ter- a term pledge, right? Yes, sir. How I many have. years are we going to have you in Congress if you're elected? Six. That's Three it. cycles. Yep. And you'll come back and you'll do the show. Absolutely. Okay. You've got it here live. <laughs> well, well, got it here live. We'll see. We'll see if he keeps his word. Yes, sir. Uh, that's Matt Lev. He is a Republican candidate. We're going to introduce a series of new Republican and new Democrats between now and Election Day, which is a long time away. Uh, these are men and women who want to go to Congress and change things. And so he joins us in our first hour this evening. In our second hour, we're going to be talking with the co-founder of No Labels. We're going to talk about this new concept that they want to put on a ballot and give you a better choice than Biden and Trump. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. Stumont back. Thank you very much for joining us. We continue in our second hour. Peter Qualia joins us from uh, Staten Island. Uh, he is a card-carrying Republican. He's a Trump Republican, and also uh, Mark Casello joins us here in Chicago, and he is a progressive and uh, professor as well. I guess that's sort of redundant, this <laughs> progressive pro- professor. Uh, but also joining us uh, in this hour, and I mentioned this uh, coming up, that uh, uh, we are very pleased to join Holly Page, and she is the co-founder of No Labels, and you probably have been reading and hearing about uh, their plan to offer the American voters uh, an option uh, in 2024. And uh, it's nice that she takes time to join us this evening as a co-founder. We appreciate it. She joins us from New York City, where she is uh, away or involved in business. And uh, Holly, welcome to Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. I'd like to I, give us a little background because to most people, I think they would be surprised to know that No Labels has actually been around for a few years. It isn't just a it isn't just an upstart organization. Right, we have been around since uh, 2010, and uh, started really to make Washington uh, more reflective of the voice of what we call the common sense majority. But there's nothing analogous to no labels. So there was no guidebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it took a while for us to um, really come up with our path forward. We were instrumental in helping uh, name and form the Problem Solvers Caucus in the United States House of Representatives. We have Senate allies. They've been responsible for some of the most important legislation that has uh, passed in the last several years. And now we're looking ahead to the future. Are there specific legislative programs that uh, you have that uh, your your caucus is dealing with at the congressional level? Well, our, our job at No Labels is really to support the work of the problem solvers and their Senate allies. Uh, like I said, they're bipartisan, 
and um, they they tell us where they can work together and find common ground to uh, come up with solutions to the nation's challenges. And we support that, especially when they have to take on their party leadership or vote against their very powerful uh, interest groups and extreme voices in, in both parties. We are there to help support them. How would you assess the decisions of the past 48 hours in Washington, D.C., with the way in which the House Republicans and uh, uh, Senate Democrats and the White House uh, dealt with the, the shutdown issue? I think it's a, a, a lot of contortion to avoid working together. You know, had, had uh, Speaker McCarthy turned to the uh, problem-solving Democrats led by uh, Josh Gottheimer in the House, um, I think we could have avoided a lot of the consternation and fear from a lot of Americans. Mm-hmm. Now, last week, late, late last week, it was reported that uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., who has been seeking the Democratic nomination and, again, uh, not given uh, uh, much uh, reaction uh, to, uh, uh, at least not given much respect by the Democratic National Party and the DNC, that he has had some flirtation with the Libertarian Party. And so my question to you is, does that represent at least another option? It obviously does. But again, why would that not option not be something that the no-labels people could get excited about? So we have published uh, in our Common Sense uh, a playbook uh, various points of policy that are consensus positions from the common sense majority. And, and you'll see it. Uh, we're happy to uh, send you a copy mm-hmm. and uh, people can access it through our website. Right. And really, we are very committed to to those principles and ideas. And um, I'm not sure where uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. would fall on some of those issues. He'll have to fill out our questionnaire and let us know. But my guess is we probably aren't uh, aligned on many of those. So we really want leaders to help us move us into the future who can speak for what we know are 77 million Americans who do not see their voice reflected uh, in the national conversation. And also, we should mention for those that don't realize that, uh, you know, the Democratic Party, there are more registered Democrats than anyone else. But the second uh, largest re- registration in the country is independents. The, uh, the Republicans are really, uh, they are in third place insofar as uh, registered voters in the United States. So uh, there, is, uh, there is something that at least there's a lot of people who say when they're asked the question, yes, I am an independent. But my, my question to you, and then I want to get our other guests involved as well, you've mentioned common sense a couple of times. Common sense mm-hmm. sounds great. But we could get three people in the room, and we've got them right now. They wouldn't necessarily agree on what common sense is. So, can you give us an example of a, of of, of, a, of an issue uh, and a solution that you think represents a consensus common sense? Sure. And again, in our common sense playbook, we we have over thirty of them, where uh, the vast majority, sixty, seventy, eighty percent. Uh, of uh, our voters have come to a place where they could uh, see a solution, right? And here's a specific example, okay. immigration, a, a tough one. Mm-hmm. But 
folks know that <laughs> a, a nation without secure borders is not really a nation. So that is rule number one. You have to secure the borders. In addition, we have to modernize the way that people are made, brought into the country. The last time immigration was reformed was 1986, before fax machines were commonplace. We can modernize our system, we can make it more secure, and we can uh, find ways to allow the best and the brightest, people who wanna come here, work hard and play by the rules, uh, to take their rightful place in the process of becoming an American citizen. So we, we think that the either or is a false choice. Uh, that you have to, you know, leave the border completely open and let anybody come through. We don't agree with that, and neither do 77 million Americans who, who will make their voices heard through no labels. Mm -hmm. uh, Peter uh, Qual uh, Qualio joins us. He is uh, uh, joining us from Staten Island, and he is a, he's described himself as a pro-Trump Republican, uh, formerly in federal law enforcement. Peter, what do you think uh, of the idea of uh, yet another option uh, for people that uh, may not like the choices that are before them. Is that a fairness issue? Uh, I'm not issue sure. That... I'm a little unclear. Is uh, No Labels a new party, or is it basically just an advocacy group? Because it sounds to me like it's an advocacy group. I mean, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of political parties out there. Just to be clear, I'm not married to the Republican Party. I mean, I'm like, I'm a first principles guy. You know, right. the, the reason that I, um, I'm a Republican out of necessity at this point. But uh, just, uh, you know, before I can answer that question, you'd have to clue me in a little bit more. Is this, is this a party or is this an advocacy group? Because I right. really don't It's understand. a great question. And, and again, really we're going we're we're to have to pause right now uh, okay. because if you started to answer, I'd have to interrupt you because we're about to go to a commercial okay. break. Uh, but when we come back, we'll get the answer to that question. It's a good one. And uh, I think a lot of people want to know that. 1-800-723-8289 uh, from coast to coast and border to border. This is Beyond the Beltway now in our 44th year on the air. And we're talking about what's happening in the body politic. And one thing is, there's a lot of people who don't vote and they're not excited about the, the twosome that we're looking forward to uh, a year or late November of next year. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us. And uh, uh, let's uh, head back uh, to New York City and get reaction to the to the big question, which was a good one by Peter. And that is, is No Labels an advocacy group or is it a party? Go ahead. We It is, it is a great question. Thank you, Peter. We actually are an advocacy group. And all No Labels really can do is uh, gain ballot access and organize a national network movement of citizens. So uh, as clever as we are, we could not manifest the desire uh, for a third choice in 2024. We're giving voice to it. And we have said consistently that if the 77 million common sense majority voters want a third choice, uh, in spring of 2024, we will potentially offer our ballot line to uh, a presidential and vice presidential candidate and campaign. And we have no intention of starting a third party. 
I, I, I think what Peter said is really very telling. Both parties really are relics of the last century in many ways. They need to modernize. They need to have new ideas, new alliances, new ways to organize Americans. And our hope is that our effort will help pull both parties into the 21st century. Have you had any conversations with any of the major television networks to give you an opportunity to either present your case or, most importantly, present some of your potential candidates uh, in, a, in, a, in a debate forum so that the American people can hear five, six, seven other ideas from people that want to lead the country that are not coming up through the ranks of the Republican or Democratic Party. It seems to me that uh, at this point in American history, with 77 million people who basically are saying none of the above, mm -hmm. the television networks are missing a major opportunity uh, to help uh, civics in the country. And also, uh, I think it could be good television. Uh, yes, I think some of those conversations are going on, but we really wanted to talk to you first, Bruce, because you have well, been you. here the longest. <laughs> so <you. laughs> we thought maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That's very nice of you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but uh, but seriously, uh, but how how uh, are are you getting good response from from people? Uh, are other people in the media who've been around a while saying? This is this is a good idea. I mean, it's it's like, you know, I think people are shocked to know that there are more registered independents than there are Republicans. I mean, the Republicans exactly. are like the third party. They really are. But the independents aren't organized, at least uh, not uh, in any significant way. Right. And traditionally, they haven't had a very viable place to go. One of the things that we're committed to is we will only offer our ballot line to a presidential and vice presidential candidate if they are serious leaders who could actually lead the country. We have no intention of, you know, uh, putting our ballot line up for, for a protest vote or a throwaway vote. So I think the, the, the media is very interested in, in, in us and what we're doing, and they, and they want to know who will it be. But they're putting the emphasis on the wrong thing, Bruce, because it's not about the candidates or the elected officials. It's about the people of, of the United States who are saying in a representative democracy that we want something different. So our voice, our mission is to channel that voice and to put pressure on the whole system until they get the memo and, and start uh, talking to, uh, to the hopes and fears of, of the common sense majority. Mark Costello has a question for you. Hi, um, I'm a, the progressive on the panel and uh, I was a Bernie Sanders supporter and I'm one of the 70% of Democrats right now who aren't excited for Joe Biden to run for a second term. But, you know, one thing I was always certain about with Bernie Sanders was he came out and he said, you know, I'm, I'm standing up to the millionaires and the billionaires, and I, I think the average American's not getting a fair shake. And so I felt that he wasn't, you know, beholden to the corporation in the same way probably pe people feel about Trump, that, uh, you know, Bernie had that kind of anti-establishment authenticity for a lot of people. But um, from your donation standpoint or, or how No Labels gets its funding, 
you know, without having to disclose specific donors, what percentage of your funding comes from sort of uh, independent donations of like small donors? That was a big thing that moved the needle for Bernie was that a lot of a lot of his funding came from just uh, everyday Americans and small dollar amounts. Uh, right. We we, by the way, take no corporate money at no labels, not because we think corporations are evil, but because we don't want to have to service that money. All of our money is individual. We have a vast online donor program. And remember what we're doing, potentially challenging a sitting American president and a former American president. So no, we're not going to release those names of people who give us money. And I would say to you and anybody else, judge us on our actions. Judge us on what we do and say. And we have never inserted ourselves in, in minutia of legislation that could benefit any individual or corporation or industry. We want to support the men and women who show up every day in Washington who really want to solve the problems. But guess what? All of the incentives in Washington, D.C. reward the wrong things. They, they reward division and extremism and adherence to party loyalty over everything else. I, kind of like Peter, I'm an American first. If, if the Democratic Party of which I came out of is the vehicle to advance the best interests of this nation, fine. If not, I have no use for it. And, and guess what? A majority of Americans feel the same way. We don't live and die by these parties. They don't, they don't speak for us anymore. If you, you, you said that your, your party or, or your no labels would consider, uh, obviously, a common sense uh, team to run for president and vice president, and you mentioned that you would want them to be qualified. Now, mm -hmm. as we look at recent... Uh, combustible candidates that have come before the American people, would Donald Trump have passed that criteria for you? Would Ross Perot had passed that criteria for you? Or were they too far out? Would, would did Ralph Nader have passed that criteria for you? Well, what we're interested in is, is equipping the nation to win the future. Okay, we want to leapfrog the current conversation that is looking backwards and we want to solve the problems that we're facing today and be prepared to solve the challenges that are coming at us. So uh, you can tell where we are ideologically by looking at our common sense uh, book. But essentially, you know, we are about uh, honoring the true promise of this country, which is equal opportunity for all and doing it in a modern way. We, we believe that with opportunity comes responsibility. And we want to come back together as a nation. I tell you, the uh, politicians in Washington, okay, even good, well-intentioned ones, their number one ability, their superpower is survival. And they sometimes have to make judgments about that, that may put them at odds with what is in the best interest of the country. We want to bring the support of enough uh, voters so that they don't have to do that, so that they can actually do the votes that they think are in the country's best interest. But we don't want to look backwards. I don't want to rehash old elections. I don't want to talk about politicians who've been dead for 20 years. I want to talk about the future. 
Uh, Peter, I want to get your reaction. Has your uh, opinion uh, of no labels changed since uh, you heard uh, and you asked your question? Are you liking what you're hearing well, that, or are you a little fearful? Very respectfully, no. I think that uh, <clears throat> Holly and I would come at the problem from different uh, uh, directions. I mean, I, I think that the federal government needs to be disassembled. I think we need to get back to first principles. I, you know, if it were me, if I could uh, wave a magic wand, I would put us back to, uh, you know, prior to Woodrow Wilson, who I think was the first uh, godless uh, uh, horseman of the apocalypse and uh, put the federal government back there. I think a lot of what Holly says is she wants to redirect the uh, levers of government. I want to disassemble it. I think that most of what the federal government does is way beyond its bounds and needs to go back to the states. Holly? Well, can I just say, um, you know, remember how this whole nation was founded by a bunch of people who didn't agree on anything except for one principle, liberty which, by the way, means the freedom to choose. So in our very core of everything that makes us an Americans is the idea that we come together, we have different ideas, we have different religious beliefs, we have different everything, and we figure it out. You know, that that's, that's is very true. I'm sorry, I totally agree with you, but there's a framework for that. There's a constitution. The Tenth Amendment to the Constitution is very clear. We are a government of enumerated powers. Uh, Anything that's not specifically enumerated to the federal government and the Constitution is supposed to be left to the states. As far as I'm concerned, that the uh, federal government has completely overstepped their bounds by uh, uh, misinterpreting the General Welfare Clause, and that's a a huge issue to me. So I, I don't disagree with you. But there's a way to do that. There's a way to change the Constitution. If you want to put, mm-hmm. you know, if, if national health care is now a responsibility of the federal government, then that needs to be done constitutionally. Uh, a follow-up question to you, Holly. Uh, do any of the Republican candidates who are currently debating to, uh, to challenge Donald Trump, or, or I think you said Robert Kennedy probably wouldn't fit the wouldn't fit your criteria but are there republicans are there republicans in that field that would i want to come back i'm going to give me some time to think of it because we're going to a break and i also want to talk more about obviously you're focusing on the presidency who are some of the names that are being circulated around your office and also are you only interested in the presidency or are you looking to run people for governor senator and members of congress i'm bruce dumont don't go away We're talking no labels, Paul. This is Bruce Dumont. We are back and we continue with Beyond the Beltway and uh, Mark Sello joins us. Uh, He is our in-house progressive for this evening and our in-house conservative isn't in-house. He's in Staten Island in his house there or his mother's house, or somebody's houses. And he is Peter Qualia, uh, who has also been very active as in federal law enforcement. And also joining us is Holly Page. She joins us from New York City. She is one of the co-founders of No Labels. Uh, co-founder, who were the other uh, co-founders, uh, Holly? Uh, there's there's quite a few of us who, who set out, uh, primarily Nancy Jacobson, who is the visionary really behind No Labels and... Uh, the driving force on a daily basis, but others like Senator Joe Lieberman, uh, uh, Mark McKinnon, there there are quite a few. Uh, is there anyone that you would say in the current crop of 
Republican challengers to Donald Trump. Is there any one of those that you think would be a potential uh, candidate for no labels? Certainly, it's interesting to watch that process play out. Um, there are There is something called uh, uh, sore loser laws mm-hmm. that prevent candidates who have run from a position on one party to, to transfer to another. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But I'm interested to know uh, from the three of you who your dream ticket in 2024 would be. I'm going to start with uh, Peter Qualia. Peter? That's, dream, pre- that's pretty easy. Ticket. Trump Kennedy. Trump Kennedy. Trump Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Peter, before you arrived on the scene this evening, uh, uh, Peter was uh, singing the praises of uh, Robert Kennedy as a strong independent and uh, representative of some of the same strains of politics that uh, Donald Trump articulates. Uh, Mark Casello, you know, this is uh, kind of a it's kind of a tough question. Uh, Holly should be in this business asking these questions. Yeah, it's it is <laughs> the ideal um, ticket. The ideal ticket. Yeah, a ticket that, that would win or a ticket that would be appealing. <laughs> you know, I could well, I could pick the most progressive, the AOC Bernie ticket, but I don't think it's, uh, I don't know how uh, viable that is. Well, I think you wanted to know, but but you, you want to know what AOC Bernie would be okay that was an answer for you, right, uh, Holly? If that's what he wants. Sure, yeah. if that's his dream ticket, yeah. yeah. See, I, I have always said for people that just say you've got to vote, you got to vote, you got to vote, uh, and I believe that. I believe that people uh, should vote. But also, I don't think people should vote if they think just because someone is leading in a poll or behind in a poll, I think once you have voted, you should be able to go home, look in the mirror, and say to yourself, I've done my duty. I've cast my vote for who I think should be the President of the United States. That's the way should do it. So, well, I, Bruce, but who, what is your dream? Well, I think I think I think you know I I think I'm going to sidestep the question only because I'm here every Sunday night and have been for quite some time. I try to be fair and objective to all sides. Uh, I am more conservative than I am progressive, uh, so I, I think that may send a signal. But I think if I said that I was for one candidate. I think uh, all the other candidates in that party or in the broad political field would uh, think they they would listen to my show a little bit differently. They said, aha, he's doing, he's favoring this, he's favoring that. I would say that, uh, uh, generally speaking, I will say one thing. I do not believe that Donald Trump was a bad president. I have questions about him being a former president, but I don't have questions about him being pre or in the past being president of the United States, so that may give you a little signal. But it isn't to to think of my my ideal candidate. Uh, I'd have to I'd have to think more about that. Now the names that Fair have enough. been the the names that have been mentioned by the way, uh, uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Democrat, and uh, that that's that's the principal one, and also uh, uh, your Republican. Uh, Former governor of I'm, I'm Larry Hogan, Larry Hogan of, of Maryland. Uh, they have been two names that have been mentioned. Um, where do those names come from? Well, let me say because I forgot a key piece of our 
uh, a strategy and vision for 2024. Mm -hmm. Our hope is that we would give our ballot to a presidential and vice presidential candidate made up of a Republican and a Democrat running together. Okay. Because in the last election, as we are all well aware, you know, you had 75 million Americans vote for one and 73 million vote for the other. I don't know the exact numbers, but something right. like that. Sure. In other words, we've got a lot of Americans um, uh, supporting, you know, both parties. Right. And we have to find our way forward. You know, we really have to find our way to our collective future because this division and polarization is playing in the hands of people who do not want to see America succeed. And you know what? Not on my watch, Bruce. It's not going to happen. Mark Costello. Yeah, Holly, I, you know, so on the break, I said, well, I want to go see some of these common sense policies. And I, I feel like the devil's in the details here. So under energy and environmental security on the, the website, says uh, an, all, an all of the above energy strategy is the best way to lower uh, energy prices for the American family. And, you know, that I've heard that in the debate, you know, last week, a lot of people say the all of the above strategy, it's a good talking point. Mm -hmm. But the devil's in the details. So, so when, when no labels says this, and there were a piece of legislation that you were moving or a bipartisan way, you know, what does that look like? You know, from a policy perspective, so, what, am, what am I signing on for here? Is this, you know, are we going to be putting pipelines through Lakota land? Are we, you know, are we chopping down the Anwar forest, clearing out space so we can drill, baby, drill? You know, where, where is this exactly? Well, all of the above can mean so much. Is there a nuclear reactor going in, you know, to the west side of Chicago? What does this look like? So remember that those uh, positions are really the consensus of the American people. And it's not for no labels to tell a potential presidential and vice presidential candidate exactly how, how they should think. I wouldn't want a president who would accept that. Um, but, we, but what it says is we believe that pitting you know, the, the resources that drive our economy today against our collective future, the future energy is a false choice that we can have both, that we can appreciate uh, the incredible resources that we have as a nation and we can work towards a cleaner energy future. And we are, are tired of being sold. And I say we, I mean the common sense majority, 77 million of us, we don't wanna hear it has to be one or the other anymore. That's not true. Just like in immigration, you can have secure borders and you can modernize the process to make sure we keep the bad guys out and we let the hardworking, well-intentioned, you know, folks in. Um, so I don't want to hear that it, it has to be one way or the other anymore. I'm, I'm tired of it. Yeah, I didn't think I was offering a false choice. I think I was just so you're saying that basically your candidates would articulate a more specific vision of what this would mean, um, hopefully building from the consensus of Noble Labels supporters. What we're saying is we're giving voice to the common sense majority and we're saying to a potential presidential and vice presidential candidate who would want to uh, run on our ballot line. This is where we stand. This is where we want you to get to. You know, we think that these are reasonable positions that um, both sides of any given issue don't get everything they want, but can come together and find find our way for forward. Now, it, it will would a, a, a no labels ballot line only go to people who swear an oath to every word on, in that booklet? Of course not. 
you know, but it gives you an idea of where we are. We, we think we're, we're, you know, in the middle of those progressives, frankly, who believe the only answer to every question is government and, and those on the far right who believe that government has no role, has no obligation to honoring um, the, the true promise of the country, which is equality to opportunity. Mm -hmm. We think we can find our way uh, forward in a different light. I asked before, uh, one of the questions I asked, are, are you going to be looking for uh, either people at the gubernatorial or, or U.S. Senate or members of Congress? Is this part of your ultimate plan or is it just focused on the executive branch and the president and vice president? It's only the presidential level. We have no intention of running candidates below that. Um, as I said, you know, we are not interested in, in starting a third party. And so we believe that we need to shock the system, uh, make sure that the, the voice of these voters that we represent is heard loud and clear. And the best and most efficient way for that to happen is to focus on uh, who is running for president and who, who's going to lead the nation. What has the, been the reaction to uh, the names of Larry Hogan and Joe Manchin? You mentioned those are names that have been closely associated uh, with the party. Since those names have been floating around, what's been the reaction at the, at the offices? Well, we, well, we have not put out any of those names. We're very careful not to, uh, you know. Did they name put names them out? Who, are they putting them out? Yeah, well, I think folks, a lot of different people are. Um, but you know, here's here is our mission. We have to qualify for these ballots. And by the way, uh, fight a lot of resistance from people who want to keep the system and the structure as it oh, is. Yeah. We're getting challenged. Can imagine left. that. And so we have to accomplish our mission of getting ballot access. And we have to build our national network of citizens who want a better future for this nation and who want to find our way through this incredibly turbulent time. So if we do that, then we have confidence. If we build it, they will come. Okay. When we come back, we're going to break. When we come back, I want people to get the pencil and paper because I want to ask Holly to give us some specifics. If people like this idea and want to participate at their state level, what they can do. 1-800-723-8289. When we come back, somebody that doesn't think this is a good idea. We are back, and uh, Holly Page, co-founder of No Labels, joins us this evening talking about her plan for giving people uh, uh, a different or an option uh, come uh, Election Day next November. And I should mention, just take a program note here, is that next Sunday night on this program, as we cover the body politic, our guest will be Angela uh, McCardle, and she is the chairperson of the Libertarian Party of America. So we'll be talking about the Libertarians, uh, their efforts, obviously, to get on ballots. They're going to have some choices as well. And there actually may be some news this coming week uh, involving uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and a uh, possible move to the Libertarian Party. So that's next week. But tonight we're talking with Holly Page of No Labels. And we've got a caller in New Hampshire. Steve joins us tonight. Go ahead, Steve. You're on the air. Yeah, hi, Bruce. Long time, no call. <laughs> um, 
I, I can you hear me? Yes, you sound great. Okay, great. So I'm, I'm listening to Holly. I missed the beginning of it, so my questions may have already been answered. But while in theory I agree with a lot of her positions, I would love to have a combination of a Larry Hogan or a John Kasich and a Manchin or one of the good uh, the governor from Kentucky. That makes to me all the sense of the world, except I'm also trying to be a realist. And what effectively no labels will do, and especially in 2024, when we have a, how, how do I word this properly, a potential lunatic running, winning a race because of no labels, the damage that would be to our country so far outweighs any I'm not sure. Uh, by the way, let me just say one thing. Uh, well, just one thing. I, I really, you know, we we throw names around on this program, but I I don't think it's fair to refer to the president of the United States as a lunatic. No, not the current president. Oh, the former. Oh, president. I thought you were talking about the current president. No, of course okay. not. All right. Well, I'm just. No, I mean checking. the danger that you know, one person's lunatic is another person's uh, candidate. <laughs> I know. I understand. I, so I apologize for that. Now, to, and I have proof of it. The proof is in 2000, George Bush won because Ralph Nader took votes from uh, Al Gore, and in 2016, Hillary lost because Jill Stein took votes from Hillary. So for no labels to think that they, don't have, they won't have any problem uh, affecting the, the election is, is to me, is, is uh, very dangerous. Okay, let's let uh, Holly respond. Holly, go ahead. Uh, first of all, I would say to Steve that his proof is not accurate. Both Ralph Nader and Jill Stein ran to the left of the Democratic nominee and therefore, of course, only took from one party. From one party. Um, and so we have been quite, you know, uh, consistent in saying we will only go if we can win. We will only offer our ballot line if we can win. And to win because it's a winner-take-all electoral system means in 48 states we need to get 34%. Steve, I don't know about your friends and neighbors, but mine, they do not want a rematch. They do not want a rehash. They want something new and different. So I would just say, especially since Steve could find his way to supporting some of the ideas that we've talked about, stick with us, keep watching it, stay around it. And I have a feeling that um, our, the, 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 can, clear can path I respond to, to that? that we yeah. know we have. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. All right. My concern about that is right now in the Republican Party, you have 30% of the country where, who, are, who will vote for Donald Trump no matter how many indictments, how many fraudulent cases. They will not switch to one of your party members. But Biden voters may very well switch. So, again, I think... I don't think that's you know, accurate, Steve. And, well, it's and a matter of opinion, why. I guess. Well, well, let me just say, we know from the data there are 24 million Republicans who will not vote for President Trump or President Biden, okay? But they're not 24 million Democrats who will never vote for President Biden. So I think we, anybody who knows exactly how this is going to play out, especially with the, what we're hearing about Robert F. Kennedy Jr., you know, we, we don't know yet. The players are not set yet. Uh, and the beauty about what No Labels is doing is because we have no intention of creating a third party, 
that if we see that our efforts are, are causing the uh, adverse uh, reaction than we want, if we're causing more division and turmoil and tumult, then we stand down. And you know what? Both but parties you, have it but in their power. But, Holly, but won't you notice that only once a campaign has begun? In other words, you'll have the apparatus. Everybody will be running as if it's a real election. And you're saying that, you know, if your internal polls show that one person is hurting a particular candidate, you're going to fold your tent? Did I hear that correctly? Well, well, we're saying that the entire strategy has what we call off-ramps. But let me just say, Bruce, both parties have it in their power to eliminate no labels from the 24 ballot. All they have to do is talk to the 77 million common sense majority voters. Stop thinking that they can run this country and lead the country by talking to a very narrow group of people who sit at the extremes of both sides. Peter Talk chum- to the majority of us. Peter's chomping at the bit to say something. Peter, go ahead. We're running I just, out of time. I just want to throw it at I just want to throw in, at the end of the day, somebody has to get 270 electoral votes. So the, that's why we have a two-party system, because somebody's got to get 270. So if the uh, No Labels Party was able to field an effective candidate that was actually able to take away some of those electoral votes, ultimately what would happen is that the election would get thrown to the House. Because it's, it's, if they're effective, then they're going to prevent, likely prevent somebody from getting the 270. You got a 10-second you answer for that, Holly, because we're running out of time. I would say we, if we go, we believe we will win and we have a path to do seven. All right. And how does somebody reach you if they really like what you're saying? How do they reach you if they want to get involved at their uh, local level? Email me directly, holly at nolabels.org, or, or go to nolabels.org online, and there's lots of easy ways to sign up and be involved. This is a rebellion. This is a good old-fashioned American rebellion. And I'm speaking for people out here who, you know, have had enough. We've had enough. And we don't want the bickering, the polarization, the name calling. Holly, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Uh, Holly at NoLabels.com. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks to Mark Costello. Thanks to Peter Talia for also joining, Qualia for joining us. And thanks also to Fritz Goldman. Good night from Chicago. Chicago.